Welcome to Gateway Community Church, Webster, Texas. We're so glad you found us, and we hope this message helps you discover more about God and His unique plan for your life. Well, again, welcome here on Easter Sunday. We are so glad that you've chosen to come and celebrate this good news with us and, and all that God is doing. It's, uh, it's fantastic and, and a great, great journey. Uh, if, if you're wanting to follow along with some of the things we'll be talking about, there's an insert in your bulletin that has uh, some of the scriptures we'll be referring to and some places to take some notes if that's, that's helpful for you. You know, Easter and, and Christmas are really the two big celebrations of the Christian year. And it's easy to focus on the, the cultural aspects of Easter, Easter eggs, Easter bunnies, all that kind of stuff. But actually, Easter is, is so much more. Uh, two little boys who had uh, gorged themselves on chocolate after their Easter egg hunt, the, the family hadn't yet eaten lunch. And the dad was insisting that they eat something healthy b- before going on with more sugar because that's all, about all they had in their system. But no one was going along with it, including grandma. She told her grown-up son, she said, listen, they're not going to eat that. It's Easter. What do you expect, a miracle or something? (laughs) Well, yes, actually, we do. We do expect a miracle. The miracle of the resurrection of Jesus was, was so important that the early church broke away from the Jewish practice of celebrating the Sabbath from sunset on Friday to sunset on Saturday, making Saturday their day, to turning it into the first day of the week on the day in which Jesus was resurrected to be their Sabbath. So that every Sunday was intended to be a little Easter. Every Sunday was the opportunity for the community of faith to gather together and remember the resurrection because it is so easy for us to forget. But on the Friday before Sunday, everything appeared lost as as Jesus hung on the cross. Uh, As his blood dripped from the wounds on his body, his life life was ebbing away, and and he called out, it is finished. And then he bowed his head and released his spirit, Scripture says. Some of Jesus' friends his, his mother stood there and witnessed these last minutes of his life. And, and in that moment, you had to know that it seemed to them like all their hope had, had died with him. They, they had believed he was the Messiah of God, the Savior, come to liberate them from oppression and suffering from, from the Romans. They believed that there, there was a way out of their struggles and hardships. But now, as they stood there, seeing him hang on the cross, they believed that hope also had died. One of his followers said, we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. So, pushing that experience up into the present, you know, maybe... Good Friday is where you are today or, or someone you know. Maybe life hasn't been so kind. Uh, a relationship is blowing up on you. Work isn't going the way you had hoped. An illness or, or aging is robbing you of your dreams. 
You watch your kids continue to make poor choices and a thousand other things that any of us could name. Maybe, maybe you've put your hope in religion before and you feel like you watched your hopes die like Jesus' friends and family watched him die. Or maybe life has just kind of been a disappointment, one disappointment after another, after another, and, and you, you've kind of gotten tired of even, even getting your hopes up anymore. Now, maybe these feelings are kind of pushing in on you right now. Maybe they're, you're feeling them pretty strongly. Or maybe they're just kind of vague or unsettling or you can't quite put your finger on what it is. Whatever it is. Let me just tell you, if it seems inconceivable that some good can come out of where you're standing right now, perhaps you're standing in the same place as the disciples on that first Good Friday. And, and the truth is, we've all been there, if we're honest. And some of us are there right now. It's part of the human condition. And yet part of the good news of Easter and the power of Christ in our lives is that Easter can follow Good Friday. Resurrection can come in the midst of death. Hope can rise once again. It may feel inconceivable right now with where we are. But, but maybe that hope isn't as inconceivable as it seems. Watch this clip from a movie many of you know. Why are you doing that? Making sure nobody's follow us. That would be inconceivable. You are sure nobody's follow us? As I told you, it would be absolutely, totally, and in all other ways, inconceivable. No one in Gilder knows what we've done. And no one in Florence could have gotten here so fast. He's climbing the rope. And he's gaining on us. Inconceivable. You got very good arms. He didn't fall? Inconceivable. You keep using the word. I don't think it means what you think it means. Inconceivable. You know, maybe hope feels right now in your life inconceivable. But with God, it may not mean what you think it means. And, and for that, I want us to take a closer look at that first Easter beginning actually with the evening of Good Friday. If you have your Bibles open, go ahead and turn them to Luke chapter 24. We're actually going to start in the last couple of verses of 23. And we're going to read through, and those, those scriptures are also found in your notes. It says as Jesus' body was taken away, the women from Galilee followed and saw the tomb where his body was taken, was placed. Then they went home and prepared spices and ointments to anoint his body. But by the time they were finished, the Sabbath had begun, so they, so they rested as required by the law. But very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. So they went in, but they didn't find the body of Jesus. Now, imagine the shock. We're standing in the 21st century. We've heard the story. So many of us know it, and many of us very, very well, to the point where it may have lost its power to us. Imagine you don't know this, 
And here the women arrive to anoint the dead body of Jesus. Their hope, the one they thought who would bring them liberation. They want to honor him. And they come with spices and ointments used in that day by, according to Jewish burial customs, to reduce the smell and the decomposition of the body. They, they wouldn't have brought those ointments and spices. They wouldn't have gone to the trouble of gathering them if they believed he was not going to be there. They would have never gone to the trouble. Incredibly, though, they, they come early in the morning and they discover the stone is rolled away. And, and this is a picture of a tomb in the, in still there, not the tomb. But if you look at that and notice the size of that stone, it's not a small piece of rock. It's huge. And even more shocking, the stone is not only rolled away, but the body of Jesus is gone. These women, Scripture tells us, they had watched Joseph of Arimathea take the body, carry it into the tomb, and the tomb closed. So they had seen all of that happen. Scripture says, goes on to say in verse 4, as they stood there puzzled, Two men suddenly appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified and bowed with their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, why are you looking among the dead for someone who's alive? He isn't here. He's risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, that he would rise again on the third day. Then they remembered that he had said this. Now again, we have here the appearance of two angels. It says it was illuminated, it was brilliant, it was this bright light. It had to be terrifying. I don't know about you, but I've never had two people just materialize in front of me. Yes, I would love for there to be transporters. I would love for Star Trek to be true. But it doesn't happen. And so we can look at them and think, well, didn't they know any better? Would you know any better if you were outside, if you were at home, if you were in your office, and suddenly two celestial beings transformed by light materialized in your presence. There's nothing to compare us for a supernatural experience like this. Grieving and mourning the death of their leader, they unexpectedly go and find the, the, the stone rolled away and the body gone, and now two beings appear. In the midst of this in their, in their shock, the angels ask the women why they're looking for someone who is alive, which has got to get their attention, in the place of the dead. They tell the women to remember that Jesus had warned them, had told them this would happen. And this is really significant. It had gone over the disciples' heads. This had been told to them more than one time that all of this would happen before it ever happened. Before it ever happened, one example, Luke 18, Jesus said, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man, as a title he used for himself, by the prophets will be accomplished, for he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him, and on the third day he will rise. Now, it really is inconceivable that anyone could predict all of that. There is so much detail there that random chance would say there's no way anybody could get that many details right. Yet Jesus predicted it. He predicted it all. And his resurrection was the ultimate proof that he is the Son of God. 
The story goes on. So they rushed back from the tomb to tell his 11 disciples and everyone else what had happened. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and several other women who told the apostles what had happened. But the story sounded like nonsense to the men, so they didn't believe it. However, Peter jumped up and ran to the tomb to look. Stooping, he peered in and saw the empty linen wrappings. Then he went home again, wondering what had happened. Now, Luke is, is very clear that the first witnesses were women. All the, the Gospels tell us this. And, and he names them so that we can have no doubt. You know, he, he's not just saying some women. He's, here, let me point to you. Let me tell you who they were. Some of these women have been following Jesus almost as long as the disciples. So it's inconceivable that they weren't well-known. They weren't trusted at this point by the disciples. But Luke tells us the story sounded like nonsense to the men. So they didn't believe it. And yeah, on the surface, this may look kind of like male chauvinism, you know. But what Luke is actually doing is making his testimony about the resurrection of Jesus even stronger. Listen as he explains to someone named Theophilus why he wrote his gospel, the very beginning of the gospel of Luke. He writes, many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. They used the eyewitness reports circulating among us from the early disciples. Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I also have decided to write a careful account for you, most honorable Theophilus, so that you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught. Luke says he used eyewitness accounts and, and, and he named names. He said who he heard these things from. He's inviting anyone to check his sources if you don't believe. He's saying, you don't believe me? Go check it out. You don't believe me? Go ask him. Go ask this person. The Apostle Paul reported that more than 500 people had seen Jesus resurrected. And he names names, telling folks, if you have any doubts, if you think we're making this up, if you think we're trying to pull a fast one, all you have to do is check it out. And, and this all makes sense, except Luke does a couple of things that on the surface are really strange for his context for the first century. You know, I mean, think about today. In, the, in, in today's media, we've got these talking heads that manage every soundbite, and, and it's parsed, and it's weighed, and it's carefully measured as to what would be said at the, to have the exact right impact by the right person at the right time in the right setting. If somebody's credibility is questioned, they're pulled. And Luke, likewise, wants to make his message credible. He wants people to believe. He says, that's why I wrote it. But he does it all wrong, at least by our standards today. See, Luke is quite clear that the first witnesses to the resurrection were women. Now, you may think I'm making a big deal out of women. like That's kind of offensive. But think about this. Even a hundred years ago in this country, women were routinely dismissed. And that is nothing compared to the first century where women were not allowed to testify in a Jewish court of law, period. You could have been the witness. Your testimony was completely dismissed. 
The Jewish historian Josephus said that even the witness of multiple women was not acceptable, and these are his words, because of the levity and boldness of their sex. And in fact, we know that early critics of Christianity mocked the Christian faith, that it would allow women to somehow be testifying to this, that somehow it would, we would put stock in the fact that women saw this first. As the Gospels were being written a few decades after the death of Jesus, we've we got to remember Christianity was kind of a small sect. It was an offshoot of Judaism at that time, and the Jews hated them, and most everybody else dismissed them. So they were looking for credibility. They, they wanted people to hear and know and believe, and yet they chose what appears to be the worst possible way to accomplish that because they showed women testifying as the first ones to know Jesus was risen. They immediately hurt their case dramatically unless, unless it was the truth. In other words, this is something that no one would make up. If you wanted to tell the story, if you wanted to get it right in a way that was appealing to the mass, masses, you wouldn't tell the story this way unless it was the truth. You would pick more credible witnesses. You would have started with Peter. You would have started with Joseph of Arimathea. You would have done something different. The report of women as the first witnesses is strong proof then of the truth of the resurrection. Because no one would have done it that way unless it was the truth. But there's a second issue here. Luke reports that the disciples thought the women's report was nonsense. Yet, we've already been told it really did happen. So think about it. That puts the disciples, who were the early leaders of the church, who dismissed the testimony of the women in a very poor light. It makes them come off looking bad. Again, do you really want your first leaders to come across as almost like idiots, you know, failing to believe the truth? Even if it is the truth today, someone would twist it to make it look better. They would, they would figure out a way. They wouldn't mention the fact that they didn't believe and they thought it was nonsense. They'd rewrite history in their favor. What happened is not a good soundbite. But Luke and the other gospel writers weren't trying to manipulate their readers or to make their first leaders look good. They were trying to help their readers be certain of the truth. And, and if it wasn't flattering, well, that was too bad. If it didn't look, make him look good, so be it. It was the truth. And Jesus himself had earlier said, the truth will set you free. If you think about it, it would have only taken one disciple, one woman, one witness of any kind to say under torture, and many of them experienced torture, it would have only taken one to say, you know, it, it, it didn't happen. Please stop torturing me. It didn't happen. In the midst of pain, even to lie about it, to say that just to get out of the torture, to say it didn't happen. And yet there is no witness that ever took back the testimony that Jesus was resurrected. No one ever said, I take it back. I don't, I, it didn't really happen. We made up the story 
Not one. Don't you know if there had been even one witness, the Jews would have jumped all over it. Don't you know the Romans would have used it in their propaganda? Don't you know it would have carried forward to today and people would still be pointing. Don't you see? They said it was the truth, but here are people who said it didn't happen. That legacy is not there. There is not one record of it ever happening. Yet we're told that, that only one of the original 12 disciples died of old age. And even his death was in permanent exile on an island. The rest were tortured. The rest were martyred for their faith. Would you die for a lie? See, that's a really important question. Would you die for something that you know is not true? Peter said, we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. A man being resurrected on the third day as he predicted is inconceivable. And yet the truth of the matter is, it is one of the best attested events in ancient human history. But there is even more significance than that to the resurrection. If Jesus predicted his own death, his own resurrection, and he really did rise on the third day, then Jesus must be who he says he is, the Son of God. And if he is the Son of God, we can trust him. We can trust everything he says. We can trust every way he teaches us to lead our lives. We can trust him when he tells us God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world. Through him. As inconceivable as it seems, Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn us. He didn't come into the world to catch you and me in the midst of our wrongs. The scripture evidence over and over is he came to save us. He said, I have come to seek and save those who are lost. Sometimes we feel like we're condemned, but I want you to hear that is not. Jesus. That is not the faith he calls us to. And if that is the promise to all those who believe him now, he did not come to take away our problems. He came to take us through them with the assurance that that we're loved regardless of what happens, whether we mess up, whether we get it right or not, that we are loved. And he offers offers us his own resurrection, not only as proof, but also promise that we too can rise from the dead and live eternally with him. If that is true, then we, we have a reason for hope. Today, regardless of what is going on in our lives right now, regardless of what is going on in our country, in our world around us, as inconceivable as it seems, we discover God's power to get through our trials and troubles. We find a sense of peace and contentment in the midst of them. Not, I'm going to take all your problems away. 
God didn't do that for Jesus. But he said, I am with you always, no matter what. And my death and my resurrection can be your death and your resurrection. It isn't magic, but it's real. And unlike anything else out there, and, and if you believe that, then it changes everything about how you see life and go through it. Pastor Tim Keller has this, I read this week, a, good, a great analogy to me. And he says, imagine you have two women of the same age, same socioeconomic status, same temperament. You hire them both, and you say to both of them, you're part of an assembly line, and I want you to put part A into part B and then hand what you've assembled to someone else. And I want you to do that over and over and over again, eight hours a day, five days a week, every week. You put them in this identical rooms with identical lighting, temperature, ventilation. You give them the same number of breaks each day, and, and, and it's boring. It is incredibly boring work, and their conditions are exactly the same in every way except one, one difference. You tell the first woman that at the end of the year, you will pay her $30,000, and you tell the second woman that at the end of the year, you will pay her $30 million. Now, how does that impact what you do? After a couple of weeks, the first one's saying, this is so boring, I can't stand it. I can hardly handle it. Isn't it driving you insane? I'm thinking about quitting. And the other woman's saying, No. I'm fine. I mean, this is great. I, I have no problem. In fact, I whistle while I work. So what's going on? Two human beings experiencing identical circumstances in radically different ways. The difference is their expectation of the future. And, and I'm not telling you this story like income has something to do with this. What it shows is that what we believe about our future completely controls how we feel today about our present. Ultimately, we are, we are beings that need hope. We need to know that there is a reason for what we're doing. There is hope beyond what we're experiencing today. And that lasting hope is found by placing our faith that Jesus is who he says he is and he will do what he says he will do if we follow him. Former atheist Lee Strobel writes, if Jesus overcame the grave, he's still alive and available to me for me to personally encounter. If Jesus conquered death, he can open the door of eternal life for me too. If he has the divine power, he has the supernatural ability to guide and transform me as I follow him. As my creator who has my best interests at heart, he rightfully deserves my allegiance and worship. If he really has saved us, if he has really offered you and me forgiveness of our sins and eternal life, he deserves our worship and praise. The Bible says to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That, that's, that scripture really has the formula for being adopted into God's family. Believe, receive, 
bring it into my life, and it's not just some idea out there. It's something I live, and in the process, by his grace, become. Strobel wrote this. He says, looking back on my conversion, I can see that this was nothing less than the pivotal event of my entire life. Over time, my character, values, attitude, priorities, worldview, philosophy, and relationships began to change for the good. So much so that a few months after I became a follower of Jesus, our five-year-old daughter, Allison, who had previously only known a father who had been profane, angry, verbally harsh, drunken, and all too often absent, walked up to my wife and said, Mommy, I want God to do for me what he's done for Daddy. That's a witness. That's the difference Christ makes in how we live today if we understand what he has done for us for the future. And if you're interested in learning more about Strobel's story, he wrote a book, The Case for Christ. Uh, I put the notes, that information in your bulletin if you want to look it up. And in fact, there's a movie out right now in the theaters on his life story. So maybe it's something you even want to go see. So here's the thing. What about you? What about you? Maybe you've come to your own verdict about Jesus. And, and you're, you're ready to pray to receive him into your life and walk into this inconceivable future with him. If that describes you today, or if you really, really want to find more about it, our prayer team in just a couple of moments is gonna be down here across the front. And they're happy to talk with you and share with you and pray with you. Maybe you're still a skeptic. Maybe you're still thinking about it. Maybe you're not ready. You're not ready to make any big decisions at this point in your life. Yes, it could change how you live today, but you're not sure yet. If so, I want to challenge you to pursue the truth about Jesus. Do it on your own. Check it out with honesty, with energy. Because it will change how you live today. Dig into it. There are lots of ways to do that. We'll help you if you want our help. But we invite you to do that. And in fact, if you're not really sure, I would challenge you to whisper a prayer. God, if you are really there, If you really care, would you guide me to your truth? And just see what happens. I mean, what have you got to lose? But maybe more importantly, what have you got to gain? If you've been a follower of his, maybe off and on through the years, but maybe he's not that important to you. It's... It's Easter. I'm here for Easter. But I don't know about all this other stuff. Maybe the reason that the early church established Sundays as their worship day is because they knew we get distracted in life. 
We get busy. We get, we get overwhelmed. We, we, we wonder, and, and you know, it's kind of like if I don't ever work out, I wonder why I'm not in good shape. If I don't ever talk with Jesus, if I don't spend time with him, I wonder why I don't hear from him very much. And so perhaps the reason the church established Sundays as their worship day is they knew that every day we need to remember. Every week we need to join with God's family and relive the truth. Let Sunday be a little Easter, a little day of resurrection when we remember what he has done, what he is doing. Maybe this is something you need. Jesus offers forgiveness. He offers hope for living today. And he offers a future that changes how we can see every moment of our lives from this day forward. He doesn't take away all of our problems. That's a myth. In fact, be honest with you, sometimes you will have more problems following Jesus. Okay? Full full disclosure. Because there are people who don't want us following Jesus. There are people who don't like that. However, he will get you through whatever you face with hope and, and really a contentment like you've never known. A peace, Scripture says, that passes all understanding. We believe that he does that in relationships. And so for these next three weeks, starting next week, we have this series, You, Me, We, that looks at relationships and particularly marriage and how the resurrection of Jesus can transform us to transform our relationships and our marriages. And I hope you'll join us. I hope you will come and see how Jesus can affect every relationship you have. And we are relational beings. And so every day, throughout our day, it can make a difference. And if you're, if you're a guest with us today, I'm going to be right out here in what we call our First Steps area and would love to say hello and, and just say, greet you this morning. If you want to follow up on some of the things we talked about this morning, learn more or how you can get involved uh, or get some more information, our next step area is right out these doors out in our lobby, and we'd love for you to stop in there as well. The resurrection and, and the power it gives us for new life and hope. Agreed. It may seem crazy. It may seem inconceivable. But I want to suggest to you this morning that maybe that word does not mean what you think it means. Let's pray. God, help us to seek the truth and be changed by the truth. Help us to see your future and allow it to impact how we live each day. If we're not sure, help us to, to, to search If we're on the fence, Father, help us to make a commitment today and see what happens. If if it's diminished in importance, Father, help us reignite our fire for you. Maybe we've lost something along the way, but you're ready to restore so much in us if we will trust you and walk with you. Father, may this Easter, may this Resurrection Day be not just an annual holiday. May it become a description of our lives. May it become a guidepost for how we see everyone and everything from this day forward. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.
God bless you. Happy Easter. Happy Resurrection Day. Learn more about us, visit www.gateway-community.org. Welcome to your journey.